Just a little disclaimer, the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Drag Time with Heglina, the hosts, or the creators, but we are glad to bring them to you nonetheless. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Drag Time with Heclina. It's episode 14. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to talk to somebody who is steeped in drag history, and we're going to get lots of dirt. But first, I want to thank you for tuning in to each and every episode. We're so glad to have you here and to keep bringing you our little show. We love making Drag Time with Heclina the podcast, and your support has made it happen. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just visit our website, Drag Time with Heclina. Dot com to leave comments on your favorite episodes. All right, so uh, as many of you know, like I do a lot of stuff in the month of June that has all been canceled. So a lot of stuff that I usually do has been moved online. One of my favorite gigs that I do every year is the uh, California Academy of Sciences uh, a Pride Nightlife. And I am doing a virtual Pride Nightlife this Thursday and I'm hosting it, uh, hosting lots of great performances, so please check that out. And on Sunday, I am joining Honey Mahogany, Sister Roma, Peaches Christ, and Mad Dog 2020, and many others, uh, and I'm joining them on the SF Pride official podcast. So check that out as well, and happy Pride. Now, if you have an interest in drag, you have an interest in our special guest. This is somebody that I've heard of from the New York scene and uh, is legendary, and he reached out to me, and I was so so glad he did. Uh, this is someone who has been on the New York scene for a long time. He performed in the original Wigstock and even appeared in the 1995 Wigstock documentary directed by Barry Shills. He was in the Black Lips performance group. He has worked with Kabuki, Lady Bunny, Rob Roth, Linda Simpson, Chris Tanner, Taboo, Genesis, Peoria, Jackie 60 and RuPaul the list of original drag and performance art icons goes on and on and he's quite a character of course it is Floyd hi Floyd hello how you are out, you I'm doing great considering uh you left out the butthole surfers oh sorry sorry <laughs> I'm sorry okay. about that so you are of course joining us from NYC yes What's it like there right now? We're uh, we're hearing little things like more takeout places are starting to open up. Uh, what is daily life kind of starting to wake up again? Yes, and it's horrible. I can't oh yeah, <laughs> you were you were loving the isolation, huh? I love the um, the bars being closed and the NYU students being gone and no sports events. That's I, fabulous. I can kind of I can kind of empathize with you there. I kind of. I'm loving my little isolation. Sometimes I'm loving it, and then I'm wanting life to go back to normal. Um, yeah, I, I miss I miss uh, takeout food. I'm a little afraid to order takeout food. I mean, honestly. So we, me and my boyfriend, have just been cooking every meal. So yeah, yeah, we haven't. And now that all the restaurants are sort of opening again, I'm like, oh, girl, they've got all that old food in there that they're trying to pawn ah. off on people. <laughs> <laughs> well, then give it a while. Let, 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 other people, yeah. uh, let other people get it. So you've been in New York for a long time, since 83, 86? Um, pick one and pour. Um, no, actually, I've. this is the third time I've lived here. I originally came in 83, and then I went back, you know, I... 
I came in 83 with RuPaul and Lady Bunny. And then I went back, me and RuPaul went back and Lady Bunny stayed. And then I came back in 85 with uh, Kathleen from the Butthole Surfers. And then I went to San Francisco for a year. In 86, I lived in San Francisco. Then I came back in 87. So this is my third time here. But uh-huh. I've been living on and off since 83. But I've been here nonstop since 87. And I've been in the same apartment since 90. Oh, Mike, since 1990? Yeah. Your rent must be crazy cheap. Hello, I'm not even going to talk about it. It's bad luck. Where, what, what, what part of New York do you live in? I'm in the East Village. Oh, nice. I, um, I'm on 10th between 1st and 2nd. I used to live in Times Square in the 80s, but there was no place to eat. Well, I'm sure that uh, that East Village where you live has changed a lot since. Uh, oh, since yeah. So, uh, well, first and foremost, let's talk about you a little bit. You are an artist and uh, the vibe is very old school East Village performance scene. Um, tell us a little bit about your performance aesthetic so that people may, who may not be 100% familiar with you with your work can find out more about you. I was very influenced by um, Monty Python. Mm -hmm. And the Flying Circus, you know, to me, those are the first drag queens I saw on TV was Monty Python, Flip Wilson. You know, I was very influenced, you know, by him. Uh, We had a dog. I named my dog. I had a poodle named Killer. My parents wanted me to name it Woodstock, but I named it Killer after Geraldine's boyfriend. Uh So uh, (laughs) I was also uh, really into Dada, Salvador Dali and all that stuff. And so my first real experiences with drag were at Rocky Horror. That's my, uh, a lot of my basis, my drag, my love of drag comes from Rocky Horror. I went to Rocky Horror in Atlanta and I I started going in 1980 when I was in high school and I was part of the cast. And, you know, it was 1980s when I started hanging out with drag queens and going to bars and taking acid. And, you know, so a lot of my drag, you know, where I come from, I would say Rocky Horror and Monty Python were definitely a big influence on me. But I grew up reading ID Magazine, so I was always, you know, Lee Bowery has always been one of my idols. And I was actually lucky enough to become friends with Lee. And I hung out with Lee in London. I hung out with Lee in New York. And I actually saw him do that birth performance three times. Which Oh, my God. Great. Yeah, I so, I was in London and and I saw him do it at Kinky Girlinky and it was a totally divine ripoff where he got on the phone and said, "Earl Peterson, you we had made love Christmas morning." And then he did the whole thing and he, he Taffy, my baby Taffy. And so then when he did it at Wigstock that you see in the movie, I was with my friends and I'm certainly not one to spoil a good surprise, so I didn't tell my friends that Lee Bowery's wife upside down and naked under that dress but i kept (laughs) but i kept saying to my friends like look at this look at this right here get a good fucking look at this because you are going to be blown away because he stood around backstage for like 90 minutes in that outfit oh she was hanging she was hanging up like that for 90 minutes yeah they had to go to the pyramid go down in the dressing room hide get ready and then walk walk three blocks over to the park and then hang out in the back until it was time to go on. Oh Here's God. an interesting story. If uh, you know, I, I might be jumping the gun a little, but uh, I'm friends with Anoni. And at the time we filmed that, we were doing Black Lips. And when they were editing the Wigstock movie, Lee Bowery was in the hospital with meningitis, you know, dying. Mm-hmm. And Barry Shills called me. I know you're, you know, we were talking about Barry Shills earlier. Barry Shills called me 
and said, you know, because a lot of the things in that movie have been changed. Like half of the songs have been changed. Jackie Beat sang the theme song to Facts of Life. Taboo sang a whole different song. Everything was completely different, but they had to change it for legal reasons. And he called me and said, you know, Lee Bowery was singing All You Need Is Love, which is a Beatles song. And they couldn't get the rights to it. So Barry Shields asked me if I knew anyone that could sing. And I said, I know someone that can sing who is also English. And so that is actually Anoni singing Love Stands Tall and Free in place of Lee Bowery. That's not Lee Bowery's voice. You don't hear a moment of Lee Bowery's voice. You hear Anoni the whole, in the Wigstock movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's a that's great backstory about that. I, I've, that's always, of course, been one of probably one of the most iconic moments from that movie is Lee Bowery's performance. It's funny because people people come up to me and they'll say, "Oh my God, Floyd, you're the best thing. You're my favorite part of that Wigstock movie." And then I say, "Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you." I say, "My favorite part is Lee Bowery," and then they kind of go. Oh, maybe you're my second favorite part. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and now was was Lee Bowery? Because I've talked to Lady Bunny about Lee Bowery. Was he as nasty as as uh, as he as people as some people say he was sometimes a catty bitch? I, you know, I never really had that experience with him. But mm-hmm. I mean, I never went to his house and he never came to my house. We hang out in clubs all the time. We were always in clubs and stuff. And he was always, we were always very, you know, nice. But I mean, she was quite the wit. Yeah, quite yeah. The wit. Mm-hmm. Well, just now, a genius. We, we, we haven't talked about Nelson, but um, if I don't know if you were going to get to the Nelson footage. But my favorite Nelson tape is the one that is, I think it's Sister Dimension's birthday or it's Lee Bowery's birthday. I don't know if you you know that one. You know what I'm I talking about? Do you know, do you know the have, Nelson Sullivan tapes? Yeah, but I, I don't think I've seen the Lee Bowery birthday one. Oh, it might be Sister Dimension's birthday. But um, it's like the most glamorous event of all time. And everyone is there. It's a really rare moment to see uh, Charles Atlas and um, uh, Pickle Surprise. Who made Pickle Surprise? What's his oh, name? gosh. Tom Rubinett. Tom yes. Rubinitz. See, they were buddies and adversaries. They sort of both are these videotape people that were sort of like had this friendly challenge. What do you call it? That they that a friendly competition amongst them. And so, Rivalry. so it's fascinating. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see them in the same room together. And I'm naked in a fur. And it was one of those moments where I where, you know, Lee Bowery came in and looked at me and he was like, oh, and I was like, oh, snap, I've impressed Lee Bowery. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> and it was after that that he came up with his nude look where he with his merkin. Oh, but, nice. Um, so I was like, oh, my God. But to think like it would be the greatest, uh, one of the greatest honors of my life to actually believe that I had made an impression on Lee Bowery. Well, he had to have drawn his influence from some some stuff. You know what I mean? It's it's not out of uh, out of the realm of belief that you influenced him with that look. Yeah, but I mean, she was way ahead of her time. Oh my God, so ahead of her time. I mean, it's kind of mind boggling that people still, you know, when I go to London or New York, people still will work those looks as if they are brand new. You know, and right. I'm like, and I'm just yeah. like, honey, please give me a break with the. No, with, I know, it, I know. Give me a break with the with the lit candle on your head. 
Right. Um, you, see these, <laughs> you see these young people and they're spooking this Lee Bowery look and they're thinking us old queens might not get it. It's like, oh, girl, I, I, was, I was in high school looking at ID magazine when I saw that when you weren't even born yet. When I saw Lee working that look. What's funny is a lot of the a lot of these kids now, they they have the look, but they don't under, they don't at all know the references. So I was talking to some kid in New York City in some club and I was like, I walked up to him and I said, "Oh my God, you are a dead ringer for Mark Bolin," um, and I said, "You look just you look just like him." And, and he said to me, "Oh, I don't know him. I just moved to the city." And I was like, mm. "Oh, um, that's not no. Mark Bolin's been dead for forty years. Well, anyway, whatever." But <laughs> but he looked just like him. So tell me about Black Lips, Hattie, and Anne Honey. Well, it's funny because Black Lips originally Black Lips was a um, a theater group that Anoni started, and it sort of. He sort of started in California with uh, Lily of the Valley and Johanna Constantine. They're all from California. Well, I mean, Anoni's originally from England, but they came from California and they started this thing. And they originally started at this bar that I didn't like called the Crowbar. And, you know, uh, I had a thing on, I had a chip on my shoulder about Crowbar. So they asked me to come to their thing. And it was like, they were like, obviously, you know, of my ilk. They were, they were obviously, doing something similar to what I like to do. They were often like goth, like goth freak, blood and guts freaks and stuff. And so I was like attracted to them. But um, I, I, I originally said, no, I didn't want to have anything to do with them. And then there was another time afterwards when I, when Anthony, he was, he was Anthony at the time, came up to me on the street and he was like, oh, we've moved to the pyramid. We want you to come and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know, maybe. And I remember as I was walking away, he yelled out, we have Hattie. And I was like, okay, that's a different story. And so I actually went, and I, the first time I was there, Anthony asked me to use, do the video camera. So the first time I was there, I, did, I watched the whole show through the eye of a camera. But what happened was with Black Lips was that I fell in love with Marty Domination. And I, the whole thing was overwhelming to me. I was like, Anthony is like John Waters, and he's got this, pack of freaks around him and marty domination was like his mink stole and i was like oh my god like like i i i mean obviously anthony had this amazing talent but i just wanted to be around marty domination and of course she hated me for quite a while uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> you know and Mar marty domination of course went on to become her claim to fame now really well that's a rude thing to say but one of her one of her major accomplishments is the matthew barney she's the star of cream master one She's, really? Yeah, she's in t the two Goodyear blimps. She's under the table in both Goodyear blimps and Cremaster One. So tell me about have have you rubbed shoulders with Matthew Barney and Bjork? Uh, I've I've rubbed shoulders with Matthew Barney. I've I've never I I've never actually met Bjork, even though she came to Black Lips many times. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. But uh, but Matthew, I've hung around with. I've gone to bars with him. I've been to his studio. It's a different story with Matthew. But right, right. I don't know how I somehow missed the Bjork train. <laughs> <laughs> All but right. it's funny, that whole crossover, because like Anthony is on the Bjork record and Marty is in the pre-master. So there's definitely this whole Black Lips crossover. They were very, you know, Bjork was very excited by Black Lips. Yeah, and she obviously is a big fan of Anthony, and uh, and you know it's it's such a it's such a, Bjork and Matthew were so immersed in the art scene in New York when they were a couple. It's inevitable that 
that paths would cross with Anthony and and all that stuff. Have you ever seen that video, Pagan Poetry? Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, I've well, I've a, I'm a huge Bjork fanatic. I've met Bjork, God, countless times because I because I'm actually oh. from I, I'm actually from Iceland. So, oh wow, uh, that would explain your name. Your name is very Icelandic. It is. That's really. You're very, very intelligent for catching that because most people, <laughs> most people think it's a variation of the of heckling or getting heckled, um, but it, it's actually based on a volcano in Iceland called Hekla. Oh, it seems very Icelandic to me. Aren't you the clever one, Floyd? You figured that out. <laughs> All right, listen, I, I want to get to some dirt. Oh, or not okay. dirt, not, not dirt, but memory. It's going down memory lane even further back. Let's so, just start that okay. bitch. I know, right? Okay, so we already we already talked about you coming to New York with RuPaul and Bunny. You know, you and Ru you and Ru went back and came back. But anyway, you were there. Oh, how did you three spend your time when you first got there to New York City? Um. Well, I mean, you can leave the drugs out. Uh, no, that's not possible. <laughs> um, the thing about like you are jumping ahead a little because there was a lot of time with us in Atlanta that formed. That, that, that formed the bond that we all still share in some way or another, this invisible bond. Well, it all started a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> so, um, well, I met RuPaul two weeks after graduating from high school. Mm. I met him in June of 1982. And uh, me and my friends were in the park smoking a joint, and I think she smelled it. But um, he, Ru became instantly attached to my best friend at the time, whose name was Todd. I was sitting in the park with Todd and Anna, Anna Ward, who um, Anna ended up being, she's one of the girls in the Robert Palmer video. She's okay. one of the addicted, she's one of the addicted to love girls. But, um, and, but like from that moment on, we were all, the four of us were just sort of like inseparable. Uh, Rue uh, was living at the time with this girl named Cabbage, who ended up being a drummer in the Butthole Surfers for a while. And one day I came home and Cabbage was in my house and all of Todd's stuff was gone. And she looked at me like, I don't know, like Todd and Rue had had shifted the furniture so that all of a sudden now we were living with different people. Oh, wow. But, um but let's start the dirt. The first day I went to, let's start slinging some mud. The first day I went to RuPaul's house, he had on the shelf three books. Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, Vincent Bugliosi's Helter Skelter, and Hitler's Mein Kampf. And to me, this sums up RuPaul. You've he, got to um, be kidding me. Mein Kampf? No, I'm not kidding at all. I mean, this was also the 80s in the time period when like serial killers were cool and like, you know. Oh, sure. You know, it was a different time period. It's not, but still, I mean, like, and to me, it sums it up. It's like he wanted to force people to like him, get some smart white people to do his bidding and take over the world. And it's like, that's what he did. So, like, do, like, do you mean like he found Matthew and Zaldi to make his look, and he found people to make his well, videos? Well, World of Wonder. I mean, 
Okay. World, it's all. I mean, World of Wonder is really where it all lies. I but mean, before, they're, they're before the brilliance that, behind yeah. it. But uh, but before RuPaul's Drag Race, RuPaul was uh, uh, another renaissance in the early '90s with Supermodel, you know, all that stuff. So he did have two kind of breakout periods. Now, of yeah, course, now but, everybody, yeah. But Supermodel is also World of Wonder. Oh, is it? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay, so you yeah. saw this ambition in RuPaul from the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. RuPaul's one of those crazy driven people. I mean, like he's, you know, uh, the first day I met him, we drank a bottle of Jack Daniels and I just wanted to like pass out. And he was like, you know, let's go to Kinko's and let's make posters of me and get some wallpaper paste and glue them all over town. And I'm like, oh, girl, give it a rest. Uh (laughs) He's Uh like, "Ah, ah, ah." (laughs) you know, and I want to be clear, like, you know, I have, you know, I'm not jealous or envious or i'm not mad i'm not um my feelings about rupaul's i'm not upset about what happened but i'm definitely hurt by the way that it happened you know how is that um it goes well the thing is it goes really really deep and that is that like uh i wasn't sure if we would get here but like I was abused by my brother mm-hmm. mentally, you know, not physically. Well, not sexually, but I was abused by my brother. We, me and Rue both come from abused backgrounds. Rue is born in 1961, although I like to tell everyone he's born in 1958. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rue is the exact same age as my brother. And Rue um, is the youngest of, uh, I think he has three sisters, maybe four. He has three sisters. And he's the youngest. So he's part of this chain of abuse. And I feel like he was always looking for, uh, am I getting too heavy? No. Um, I was, uh, he was always looking for the, he always wished he had a younger sibling to pass that chain of abuse down to. And so mm-hmm. when I met Rue and he was crazy and bitchy and, and mildly abusive, to me, that felt like home. And for him, that felt like home. And so me and Rue entered into this 20-year friendship that was codependent and abusive. And, you know, it took me years to realize that a lot of the horrible, evil, mean things that he said and did to me were things that his mother said to him, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, as gay men, we turn into our mothers. Oh, um, please don't say that. That's terrifying. I've already said it. Okay. I've already said it. All right, go ahead. But, um, my mother is St. Eleanor, and his mother is Mean Miss Charles. There's a um, there's an amazing clip on YouTube. If you want to see what RuPaul's mother is like, go look up YouTube RuPaul's Ghetto Homecoming. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about it today, thinking about this interview, and I was thinking RuPaul is a little bit like a feral cat. Like he had no father and he had this absentee mother. And so he sort of became, he's like a feral cat. I'm sure there's a psychological name for that disease that children get when they're not loved as a child, when they're not held for the first six months of their life. You know, I think that definitely RuPaul has a little bit of that. Well, here's what I think about RuPaul. So I've, 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 I've met RuPaul a couple of times. And now you're going to make a fart and now you're going to fart, right? No, no. Uh, I, 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 I met RuPaul. Uh, of course, I don't know RuPaul because I don't think RuPaul lets anybody know him anymore. But um, 
I or felt did like, he ever? Or or did he ever? I mean, and there are people like that who are so cunning from the beginning and so driven that they never let anybody in. I don't even think he lets Michelle Michelle Visage in. But when I was talking to him, I, I had the sense that um, that yeah, it's he's so driven that he's completely shut down of of any kind of emotion. Um, and he can't really emp- – he, he lacks empathy for people. Is that right? I, I, I kind of felt that. Yeah, yeah. That's why, you know, I, I, I've, you know, I've spent years in therapy unpacking all of this. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that definitely, like, he definitely, like – okay, here's part of it. Is that, like, when me and Rue and Bunny all lived together, Rue would always attach himself to these heterosexual men that were unavailable. Like – me and Bunny were sucking three dicks a day. Meanwhile, the whole time we lived with Rue, I don't think he sucked one dick. I like in the in the years we lived together, he he only had sex with one person that I knew of, and you know, he has this definite problem with dealing with people in a real way, like it's uh, inability to have interpersonal relationships with people. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and it's all shut off. I mean, I mean, it's, it's brilliant the way he does it. It's, it all turns on when the cameras are on, then it completely shuts off. And I kind of imagine him kind of like, you know, taking the batteries out of his back and going into the closet and just, you know, the, the robot is there. But uh, <laughs> do you still keep in touch at all with Rue? No, I haven't spoken to Rue in, 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 in years last time i saw rue i think we ran into each other at the bob mackie exhibit at fit i think that was the last time i saw him mm-hmm. uh, it's not the last time i saw him i have seen him i've been in the same room with him i was in the same room with him a couple years ago and um or should i say rooms Oh, uh-huh. uh, we were uh-huh. in the rooms together uh-huh. oh and, got, uh, it. got it got it got it okay yes and i saw the back of his head and I was just so filled with emotion. Like I wish, I really wish that I could have been mature enough to just go up and say, Hey girl, good to see right. you. You know what I mean? Cause I feel like, you know, that's one of the problems is I don't have any closure. I've never had any closure. We never had a fight. It's sort of like, I feel like he backed away slowly, you know? And in some ways I say to myself that he, stopped hanging around with me because he got sober and I didn't, but he's, you know, he's still friends with lady bunny and she's not sober. I mean, so. Right. She I goes, don't know. Yeah. She, I, well, lady bunny's version of sober is, Oh yeah. I'm not doing cocaine this week. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. Just poppers, just poppers and, and vodka and, and ecstasy, the occasional ecstasy. Um, yeah. People around me are like, Oh, you know, like people don't get it. It's right. like, in some ways, RuPaul is my abuser, and mm-hmm. it, um, and and I, I I know that sounds extreme, but like when I turn the corner and and there's a life size RuPaul on the side of the the phone booth or something, like it it it's like a knife in my heart. It's like I have this oh, like my physical reaction when I turn around and there's a giant picture of RuPaul in the subway. It's like startling to me. It's like. <sighs> But I'm just saying, like, here's this person that, you know, tried to kill me more than one time. Here's mm-hmm. this person that, you know, you know, you know, tried to force me to smoke plastic when I was on four hits of acid. Here's this person that, you know, <laughs> that tried to condition me with with uh, with words, tried to 
program me to do his bidding with words and stuff like like it's, it's a crazy situation here's a crazy story that's really hard to believe that's really stupid but it's true and it goes back to the whole you know mind control and take over the world but like I remember once when I was living with Rue, he had this cassette recorder and he was sitting, saying into the tape. This is when me and Rue and Bunny lived together in Atlanta. And he had this tape recorder and he was saying into the tape recorder, RuPaul is red hot. RuPaul is red hot. RuPaul is queen of the universe. 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 You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. just recording all these things. Just like, and I was like, what in the hell are you doing? Like, oh, I'm just seeing how they sound, blah, blah, blah. So then one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I could hear that noise. Propose Queen of the Universe. Propose. And he was playing it in the hallway while me and Bunny were asleep. Oh, so you guys would wake up and think that RuPaul was the queen of the universe? So that we would subliminally... (laughs) That is so good. It was like an hour of RuPaul (laughs) trying to convince us that she was queen of the universe. Well, let me tell you, it did not work with Bunny. (laughs) Oh! <laughs> well, so so that is an amazing story, and I I think I'm going to try and use that. But so, well, you know, I yeah. uh, well, I, you know, I introduced I introduced Rue and Bunny. You know, I uh-huh. um in 1982 I met Rue when we were best friends, and we lived together. We didn't live together, but you know, we had this whole inspiration. And then at the end of that, uh, I stopped being friends with Rue because he broke into my house and stole some things. Mm-hmm. Now, whether those things belong to him or not, I don't really, I don't remember whether they were actually hers. <laughs> she might have been taking some things back. I don't remember. Let's just say she wasn't. But so then in 1983, I met this skinny, young, blonde, handsome man named John Engel. And we started dating. Of course, that turned out to be Lady Bunny. Right. But, um, one day, me and Lady Bunny were driving around, and I said, because Lady Bunny always says she only dated me because I had a car, mm-hmm. which I did drive her around a lot, that's for sure. So one day, we're driving around, and Lady, and I said, oh, that's where RuPaul lives. And Bunny said, oh, I want to meet RuPaul. I want to meet RuPaul. Oh, God. And she was like, let's buy a six-pack and go over. So we get a six-pack, we go over. And I knock on his door, and he opens the door, and he sees me, and he's like, what? And I, I hold up the six-pack, and he's like, oh. Come on in. Oh, uh-huh. And that after that, that's when me and Rue and Bunny sort of became, you know, inseparable. What was Lady started. Bunny like back then? Well, here's another thing about Lady Bunny. A lot of people don't know that Lady Bunny is, well, and she's a very powerful witch. I'm sure you knew she was a witch. I mean, you can tell by right. the, the three warts on her nose. Right, exactly. Uh, but... Lady Bunny, her parents are missionaries, I believe is the right word. Mm-hmm. And so she traveled all over the world and she had actually lived in Africa. And in Africa, she had lived with a tribe and the shaman slash witch doctor was, I think, the babysitter. And so Bunny had <laughs> Bunny was actually the protege to this African witch doctor like like don't fuck with Bunny okay don't fuck with mm-hmm. Bunny you know when I lived with Bunny she had the time life encyclopedia of witchcraft 
there's this crazy, me and Rue used to watch it all the time. There's this videotape of me and Bunny and Rue's first performance in New York. And I think Lady Bunny is doing I Will Survive. It's on YouTube. You can see it. It's a Nelson tape. And in the middle of Lady Bunny's number, she does this weird thing where she puts her finger up next to her eye and she sort of writes something. She's like doing this weird. And me and RuPaul always said, that's when Lady Bunny cast her spell on New York City. She's got her finger next to her eye and she's writing something with her finger. It's really crazy. It's really weird. It's like some weird thing, but whatever. But you know, when we came to New York in 83, like Lady Bunny was immediately taken under the wing of Sister Dimension and Lady Bunny never went back again. Me and RuPaul ended up sleeping in Central Park, sleeping at Abingdon Park, sleeping at People's Park, you know, and I, I would sleep with people so that we could have a place to stay. We struggled you know, to survive in New York City and had to go back and forth several times. I mean, Rue didn't actually move to New York until like, I think it's like 87 when him and Larry and Lahoma all drove up in that van and had that car accident. RuPaul actually didn't live in New York, I don't think, until 87. But Lady Bunny yeah. was kind of, was kind of, kind of took off right away. Yeah, Lady Bunny never went back. Lady Bunny was here nonstop since 83, since we came up for the Hotlanta weekend with the Now Explosion. I mean, that's another thing. Me and Rue and Bunny were sort of like the banana-rama of Larry T. and Lahoma's, you know, Fun Boy 3. They had this band, the Now Explosion, and, you know, we were obsessed with it. We were their groupies. We followed them around. We went to see them in North Carolina, Tennessee, Athens. We would follow them because I had a car. But we would follow them around and we were um, their groupies. But here's another important thing about when I met RuPaul, and that is that RuPaul was part of this huge clique in Atlanta that sort of centered around the American music show, which was Nelson Sullivan's best friend, Dick Richards. And so it was this whole really cool, groovy little clique of people, you know, in little five points. Meanwhile, I was part of this whole other really large clique of the Rocky Horror people. And in some ways that clique had, those two cliques had never really come together before. There was some weird, I mean, I started going to Rocky Horror in 1980. I thought it was late, but if you look at it, I mean, that movie is like 1975. So it had only been out for like five years at the time. It seemed like a long time, but in reality, it had only been out five years. So the Rocky Horror phenomenon wasn't as big as it is now, but but like when me and RuPaul met, it's this historic moment in Atlanta history. I mean, it sounds silly to say that, but um, when the click of Rocky Horror intermingled with the click of the American Music Show, it became this huge, exciting group of people. It was like these two groups of people that should have been together all this time. But for some reason, there was this invisible wall that had never been broken down before. And yeah. So Lahoma worked with Larry T. That's how you guys met her. They were boyfriends. They were uh, they were a couple, and they had a band called the Now Explosion, which included uh, Lizette Quattro, Christian Cougar, Mellencamp, another drag queen who is my drag idol, and then two. Um, uh, I don't know if real girls is the right way to put it. Cisgender females two women one of which is lady claire who was bunny's idol bunny stole a lot of her shtick and attitude and uh style from lady claire which is really funny because lady claire inspired lady miss keir to be lady miss keir and i believe lady miss keir inspired lady gaga to be lady gaga so the whole lady calling yourself a lady 
goes back to Lady Claire, which ends up being a like a like a Southern thing. Lady Claire was crazy and incredible. She would go. I remember going to a like Ernest Angley. She would go. They would have these big church revivals, and she would go with a walker and like dressed up like an old lady and get healed. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I love <laughs> that. Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. She would do all kinds of fake snake handling routines. But the Now Explosion was incredible. There was this thing at the time where it was sort of this competition of these two bands, the Now Explosion and the B-52s. It's mm-hmm. Like, who's going to make it? Who's going to make it? Obviously, we know who made it and who didn't right. make it. But I mean, the Now Explosion was like giving free enemas on stage, whereas the B-52s were not. Right. So there was this whole, you know, they were white trash, very proud to be white trash. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've, I've kind of become friends with the B-52s, you know, over the years. And they, they're definitely, they, they would never give enemas on stage. I'm, I, I can pretty much <laughs> guarantee that. You know, what's so funny is I, I was doing a show in somebody's uh, front parlor in San Francisco in the Western Edition. And Lahoma came with a friend. And then shortly, like a week later, RuPaul came to the show. And it was like a little tiny parlor in somebody's house. And coincidentally, Lady Bunny was sleeping upstairs in this house because she was performing at my club in San Francisco. And I told RuPaul, I was like, oh, you know, Lady Bunny's um, upstairs. Should I wake her up so so you can say hi? And she was like, no. (laughs) It was just like... (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I was wondering, Floyd, um, if there was anything that you wanted to say to RuPaul on the show, like, you know, if she were to tune in, is there anything that you would want her to hear directly from you? Oh, what a what a good question. Um, you know, I've thought about this kind of thing a lot. And it's like I, I never got any closure. And so I know that um, she would never apologize for what had happened. But. You know, what I would love for RuPaul to say to me is that it's too bad that things didn't turn out the way we planned them. Because, you know, I was promised the, shot, the Michelle Visage job forever. I mean, that was my job. We would rehearse doing a talk show. I was his Ed McMahon. I was his sidekick. We were together. That was, that was the deal. When I would come home and he was cutting up my clothes to make new clothes for himself, he would say, oh, you're buying stock in the RuPaul Corporation. You're the number one you're the number one stockholder in the RuPaul Corporation. Well, the RuPaul Corporation went bankrupt in 1991. I should have invested in World of Wonder, who are, <laughs> who are worth $800 million, according to Forbes. Right. But, um, so, yeah, I mean, okay, I want to say this. This is the job. Michelle Visage's job was, that was, that was my that's what I was supposed to have. That was supposed to be my job, you know? And that was what we both worked for for many, many years was for him to get that talk show. And so when uh, he, this is, this is a good example of how things happened. And that is like, he had the meeting with uh, VH1 and when it was over with, he called me up and he said, we did it. We did it. We did it. We did it. We got it. We got it. We got it. And I'm like, okay, that's a, we, so we, Got it. So does that mean that I get to be your co-host? And what he should have said is, oh, baby, honey, lover, sweetie, 
uh, I fought for you, but they just didn't want two drag queens, so they thought they would hire a pretty girl. They couldn't find one, so they got Michelle. Oh, snap. (laughs) But what he actually said to me, what he should have said is, I fought for you and I lost. But what he actually said to me is, this is a quote. When, when, when I asked him if I was getting the job that he had promised me for 20 years, he said to me, and I quote, what fucking planet are you living on? Oh my God. That's what he said to me. What fucking planet are you living on? That was his way of letting me know that I didn't get the job that he had promised me. So what I, that's what I mean. Like, I'm bitter about the way things, you know, you know, uh, Rue is one of the mean girls. He was abused in high school by the cheerleaders, and he could not wait to turn the tables. He could not wait to turn the tables. RuPaul has bitten every hand that has ever fed him, including mm-hmm. World of Wonder, including World of Wonder. And he couldn't wait to turn the tables on me. You know, Rue used to say to me, I can't wait till I'm rich and famous and don't have to hang around with people like you. Oh, well, he did it. <laughs> he did it, but, you know, at, at what cost? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he surrounds himself with yes men. So it's like, I think he, he's got what he deserves. I would not want his life. I would not want to be surrounded by yes men and, you know, and, and a boyfriend on the payroll. Yeah. I, is, is that what it is? He's a, he's a paid boyfriend? Well, yeah. I mean, I introduced those two. George, you know, is let's just say among hustlers, there's a finder's fee and I'm waiting for my finder's fee, George. (laughs) I would take one percent, George. Yeah. One (laughs) one percent of what I gave you would be thirty thousand dollars. I'll give you my uh, we'll we'll put my uh, PayPal link on the uh, my PayPal link will be available, George. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have loved all of this dirt. Is there any more RuPaul dirt that you think we would like to hear before before, <laughs> before, before this comes to a close? Sure. Let's. I've got. I got tons of dirt. What do you want? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I used to work. I used to work at the New York Bondage Club. I'm a S and M sex worker, mm-hmm. and I used to work at the Bondage Club in New York. And uh, George used to come in there and just sleep with anyone that would that would that would. That would look at him, and um, uh, supposedly, allegedly, to Kathy Griffin, allegedly. I don't want to get sued, mm-hmm. but um, I remember the first time George showed up and was sleeping with everyone. Uh, my allegiance was with Rue, and so I called Rue the next day and I said, um, "Rue, uh, a friend of mine. You don't know her, but a friend of mine's husband came to the party last night. You don't know them, but um." And his husband was there uh, just, you know, sucking every dick in town. Uh, Do you think I should tell her, my friend? She's the one I have loyalty to. You don't know her. Mm -hmm. But um, should I tell her? And Rue was like, no, do not tell her. He goes, look, this is what's going to happen. They're going to get into a fight. They're going to make up and they're going to then they're both going to hate you. So don't say anything. Stay out of it. And I was like, are you sure, girl? You sure I shouldn't tell her? <laughs> she might be on the phone now. Do you sure I shouldn't tell her? Uh-huh. Did she ever get where you where where you were going with that? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I well I would love I would love to get a hold of that prenup. 
I think that RuPaul uh, doesn't let things like that even enter her head. Uh, she, she's, I think she's so she, she's so shut down about that kind of stuff. She likes everything, yeah. and it's and it's in the she likes everything in its place. But anyway, yeah. I don't I don't really know her. You do, and I want to yeah. thank you. I want to thank you for all of the uh, the great stories about back in the day. Uh, uh, hey, everything is so shut down, and it's really weird times, but. Uh, quickly, can you tell us about any passions or projects you're working on that you want people to know about? Um, you know, I do a lot of painting now. So just go to my Instagram, Floyd with two L's, Floyd 666 with two L's. And, you know, look at my paintings. You know, I perform if people ask me to. I don't do a lot of uh, drag. I mean, I never wanted to. I never wanted drag to be my career, you know? I always say that when me and RuPaul lived together, he wanted to be the most famous queen in the whole world, and I just wanted to be happy. And I, I like to think we both got what we wanted. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Floyd. Um, so find Floyd on Instagram, Floyd666. That's Floyd with two L's. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Hecklina. Please be sure to subscribe to the show, like us, rate us, and please tell anyone you can about Drag Time with Hecklina. Check out our website and create some comments on past episodes you liked. Thank you so much, Floyd, and thank you, Mark. Thank you, thank Floyd. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for I, having me. I loved it.
Make me some goddamn man. Spit it.